On today's Fantasy Baseball in 15, we'll take an in-depth look at which pitchers were whiffing more and which were whiffing less this season. Like death and taxes, Dodgers get a Dodger. <laughs> I have That's not had uh, three cold brews yet. It works great in a fantasy league. I'm just glad I am not at the dentist. Fantasy Baseball in 15 on The Athletic. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball in 15, presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. Alan Melk, you're here. I'm with Derek Van Riper. Once again, it is Tuesday, September 28th. And DVR, before we dig into another uh, year-end, year-to-year comparison, a little bit of a series that we started on the Monday episode, let's take a look ahead to Tuesday's streamers. We've got a potential streamer versus streamer, but... Definitely a bit of a reach in both cases, uh, a case of two pitchers with good matchups against each other, Packy Naughton of the Angels against AJ Alexi of the Rangers. So do the uh, matchups prevail for uh, either of these starters or do we just move beyond them? No, I was looking at the skills. If you look at K minus BB percentage, Packy Naughton is at 1.1% and AJ Alexi is at an even 0%. Uh, I don't trust mm. guys with skills like that. Low K rates, high walk rates, home run issues. Uh, sure, they could go out and throw five or six quality innings against opponents that bad, but they're actually more likely to hurt you than to help you, I think, given their skills limitations. All right. Well, then let's take a look at three other starters, uh, maybe a little bit more reliable, certainly a little bit more tested. Kyle Freeland's at home. Yep, that's right. Kyle Freeland with a home start against the Nationals. Uh, maybe a couple of things in the plus column here for Freeland. Uh, we've got Patrick Corbin going for the Nationals. So if Freeland can go five innings and just be better than Patrick Corbin, maybe you get a win. Uh, also, Freeland's had a number of very good home starts. In fact, that's been kind of a weird trend that we've talked about on and off this year, DVR, that a number of the Rocky starters have pitched better at home than on the road. So I'm not sure at this point in the very last week of the season if I should be making anything of that. But, um, you know, take it how you will. Uh, we got Freeland against the Nationals. We've got Alec Mills at Pittsburgh. You certainly have to like the matchup. And then Tyler Alexander with also a pretty good matchup at the Twins. So. Freeland, Mills, Alexander, anybody you trust there. I actually think I like Mills the most because the skills are pretty comparable in this bunch, and then you're not dealing with Coors Field if you can avoid it. I know Kyle Freeland's had a decent amount of success there relative to other pitchers, so if you had to throw him, you could get away with it. But I prefer Mills of the three. I like Alexander just a little bit more than Freeland because of the Coors factor. I would say those three quite a bit more useful than Naughton and Alexi by comparison. All right. Well, so uh, on this Tuesday slate, nobody that's, you know, just an obvious slam dunk, but some options at least to consider there. So let's uh, move forward with our analysis here, looking at the Fangraph season stack grid. And again, to remind those who maybe aren't familiar with it or didn't listen to the Monday episode, what we're doing this week all week is looking at a different stat each day and looking at the year to year comparison leaderboard, which players uh, improve the most according to a certain stat and which ones got worse uh, by the greatest degree, according to that same stat. So uh, we looked at uh, hitters' chase rates on Monday. So today we're going to move over to the pitching side and look at their whiff rates, or uh, as it's termed on fan graphs, the swinging strike rate. So let's start with the the risers list, uh, those pitchers who whiffed uh, batters at a much higher rate than they did this year compared to last year. And Dylan Cease heads up the leaderboard. 
Um, not necessarily a, a huge surprise because Cease has been one of the biggest pitching breakouts this year. Uh, but uh, is this something, DVR, that you feel like you can trust going into 2022? Yeah, I think for the most part, and I would say I, I use this a lot of times to steer me toward digging into a pitcher's pitch mix or to validate an increase in strikeout rate. And I think in the case of Cease, the K rate is up quite a bit. He's at 32%, easily the best we've seen him in the big leagues. If you combine 2019 and 2020, that innings total is comparable to what he's done in 2021. So this is easily the best version of Cease that we've seen so far. But he's also improved his walk rate and his home run rate. So there's been other skills that have taken a step in the right direction. I think his growth overall is sustainable. And I think he's probably like a fringe top 100 overall pick. I mean, the strikeouts are going to drive him up in value in places like the NFBC. So maybe he even goes a tick earlier than that. Maybe the 80 to 100 range is where he goes in that environment. But I do think as a fringe top 100 guy, he's viable. Kind of more of a high-end SP3 than an SP2 in my mind, just because there is the possibility of control woes maybe coming back or home runs ticking up again. But I think there's a reason to believe he can be at least a high threes, low fours ERA guy going forward with plenty of strikeouts. Well, also, when you look at the magnitude of the improvement, uh, improving by more than five percentage points, Cease last season, 9.5% swinging strike rate, which is uh, in today's context, a little bit below average this year, just blowing that out of the water, 14.8%. So, uh, you know, wouldn't be a shock to see maybe just a tiny bit of regression there as well, just because of the magnitude of the improvement. Right behind him, though, or maybe not right behind him, but behind him is Clayton Kershaw. This one was a bit surprising to me. I didn't think of Kershaw as somebody who took a big leap in 2021. But uh, I think part of the reason for that is that Kershaw every year is somebody who strands very, very few base runners, or, or I should ra- rather strands a lot of base runners, uh, doesn't let a lot of base runners score. And he had a very normal strand rate this year. So it's actually, you know, by his standards, uh, one of his higher ERAs, but uh, yeah, a lot more swings and misses this season. So the the profile actually looked better. Yeah, and he's done it with an increased use of the slider. I think that kind of checks out, right? As he's lost velocity on his fastball, he's had to be more dependent on his secondary pitches. I think between the slider and the curveball, he's obviously got two very good ones. So that has helped him age very gracefully. Uh, I think he's probably still going to be in the mix for top 10 pitcher consideration going into next season for a lot of people. I don't know if I have to take him in that range, if I feel like it's good value, but I do still trust him quite a bit. I think the other issue with Clayton Kershaw is that we're just not projecting heavy volumes anymore, whereas earlier in his career, you could project him among the league leaders in innings pitched. I think now you're going to take a significant chunk out of your expectations and probably place him closer to that 140-150 range, which would be my best argument for keeping him out of the top 10 among starting pitchers. Yeah, I'd say maybe the only argument you can really make at this point, given that uh, even though Kershaw's at an age where you would rightfully expect some decline, that he actually grew in his skill set this year. Uh, Right behind Kershaw, Jordan Lyles. Now, this is absolutely a regression case where he's coming off of a, a 2020 season where he had a really subpar whiff rate. So Lyles just kind of reestablishing his his normal level this year. I'm not sure there's much to see there. Other than the fact that the ERA estimators do have Lyles uh, this year as a, a little bit of a better pitcher than he actually was, but not necessarily good enough that uh, you know we're looking at him outside of deeper leagues next year. 
Yeah, and he's a free agent at season's end, so we don't know where he's going to pitch. I mean, if he ends up on a, a better team in a cavernous ballpark, I could see him being useful in mono leagues and in draft and holds where just having someone getting innings who could be a starter all season ends up being pretty useful. Uh, but that's about the extent to which I'm interested in him at this point. All right. Well, number four is a pitcher I think a lot of people will be much, much more interested in next year, and that's Logan Webb. Uh, so his improvement from uh, last season, uh, definitely a subpar rate of 8.8% to this year, a very uh, robust 12.2% whiff rate. But looking at the profile for Webb, the thing that kind of surprised me, maybe I just haven't been paying enough attention DVR, is that Webb had a ground ball rate of 61.3% this year. So you don't typically see that kind of ground ball rate in tandem with a, a much above average whiff rate. But that's what Webb gave you this year. Uh, and he achieved the, the ground ball rate with uh, a lot more sinkers but uh, compensated for it by getting a lot more swings and misses on the curveball. Yeah, I was looking at another leaderboard. Just the, since 2019, any pitcher with 250 or more innings, just to see how everybody was stacking up by K minus BB percentage, Webb doesn't qualify for that leader, leaderboard by about 20 innings. If he did, he'd be right inside the top 20 among the pitchers that did qualify in that regard. That's a really good kind of catch-all metric just to look at and say, is this guy legit? Does he do enough things well to possibly hold on to what he's been doing? I think in Webb's case, I see a similar profile to peak Dallas Keuchel in Houston. And I think that's a really exciting profile because when you hear the name Dallas Keuchel right now, you're like, oh, gross. I don't want that guy on my fantasy team. He doesn't miss bats anymore. He's just going out there getting hit and he's very dependent on his defense. At his peak, Dallas Keuchel was great. I mean, he, he like, Logan Webb could be a Cy Young candidate. That is in the the upper bound range of outcomes for him. Now, he's in the National League at a terrible time for someone to surprisingly win a Cy Young. But I'm really excited about him from a fantasy perspective. I think I have less concern about his control than I do about Dylan Cease's. I think they could go at a similar range, probably with Cease going earlier because that K rate, again, is going to be the difference maker for a lot of people. But I would not be surprised at all if Logan Webb was better, both in terms of ERA and whip, and maybe even wins just because of the team he plays for. Both teams obviously very good, but I could see Webb legitimately being a top 100 guy that ends up exceeding expectations again next year. Well, if we go back to your Dallas Keuchel comp, the thing that I think is really kind of appealing there is that Webb could achieve that comp by having some serious strikeout whiff regression because <laughs> uh, he's been much more of a whiff, uh, whiffing pitcher this year than uh, Keuchel really was at his peak. So uh, that that's pretty enticing. Yeah, for sure. And, and we saw some huge workloads from Dallas Keuchel. Back in the day, I'm looking back at like 2014 and 2015, he got up to 232 innings in 2015. I don't know if anyone's throwing that many innings in a season ever again, but with Logan Webb, I would still expect him to be more in like the 180 range next year at the high end. He's at 136 and a third uh, as we speak today. And I imagine with some more playoff starts, we're probably talking about a guy that finishes somewhere between 150 and 170, depending on how deep into the playoffs the Giants can go. Uh, but really no workload restrictions, just not necessarily a guy who's going to be pushed to that maximum sort of level. All right, well, let's just uh, quickly here take a look at the next five names on the board. So we've gone through one for four, one through four. Uh, Rich Hill is fifth, and he's just had just had a weird season. Ups and downs, uh, the overall numbers, pretty good for Rich Hill. Uh, Eric Fetty, um, 
you know, he's somebody who has improved from a very, very low whiff rate to having a decent whiff rate. And the ERS, ERA estimators reflect that much better than his ERA does. The ERA estimators, you know, have him really as a, a pitcher in the low fours. So, you know, that'll at least play in terms of streaming. And then the next three on the list, all pitchers who took big step for, steps forward this year, Robbie Ray, Sean Manaya, Sandy Alcantara. Is there anything about Ray, Manaya, or Alcantara uh, that, that's, you know, worth keeping in mind going into next year. I just think with Ray, I'm concerned that the price is going to go so high that I can't justify drafting him. I mean, I think he could be treated by some as a top 10 starting pitcher, more likely to fall in that 11 to 20 range because of past issues with his walk rate. But he really seems like he's kicked that issue. Alcantara is going to have a ton of people interested in him because of the way he's pitched in the second half. I would say of the three, Manaya might end up being the best value if you trust the way that he's doing it. Yeah. And, uh, Throwing a lot of sinkers and getting a surprising number of whiffs on that sinker. Uh, interesting story for him this year. But let's uh, take a couple of minutes here. Look at the uh, laggards uh, on this leaderboard. Those who have not whiffed batters as often as they did a year ago. At the top or at the bottom, I suppose we should say Ryan Yarbrough. And I think that that relative lack of whiffs you know, goes a good ways towards explaining why he's had sort of a disappointing season. Right behind him, Kenta Maeda. Of course, we're uh, probably not going to see him next year, at least not for much of it. But the pitcher uh, at number three here, Zach Plezak. What are your expectations for him next year? Because he's had three very different seasons so far. Yeah, I thought his ADP was a little bit silly going into 2021, but I'm actually interested in Plezak going into next year. I think the key for me is that he throws four pitches and he has command. And in the AL Central, he's got plenty of soft landing spots, so you can use him for most of his home starts and probably even some of his road starts, at least within the division. If any of the pitches get better, I think there's a chance he could strike more guys out. If he finds a way to add a little velocity, we could see strikeouts tick up that way. He just has a few ways to take that extra step. And even if he doesn't, I think there are enough ways in which you can use him for him to be valuable as maybe your fourth or fifth starting pitcher coming off of a season in which some people were pushing him up maybe as high as their second starting pitcher for a staff. So I like the idea of getting him at a slight discount, maybe even a significant discount, because people are so disappointed in what he's done so far in 2021. Yeah, and what applied on the other lead leaderboard in terms of regression, uh, these pitchers that are at the top, maybe they regress in a positive way next year because they've had such big dips in their whiff rate in 2021. Adrian Hauser, number four on this list, uh, but he's more than compensated for the lack of whiffs with great contact management. And that I think is nothing really new for him. Number five is Zach Gallon. And DVR, here's a stat that I found a, a bit alarming for Gallon that not only did we see fewer whiffs from Gallon, but we were seeing a lot more contact on end zone pitches. So that could be particularly dangerous. An 88.5% uh, end zone contact rate. That is not a good ratio. Does this worry you for next year? Only a little. I think a lot of the story for Zach Gallon in 2021 is health related. I think the injuries might have caused him to be a lot less effective, being less effective. He's going to get hit more in the zone. Arizona's become a good place to pitch since they put in the humidor. Uh, I think what we saw prior to this season with the swinging strike rate still gives me some hope that he can recover a bit in that area. And even with the decline in swinging strikes, he's still not bad. He's just not as good as we hoped. So I see reasons to be optimistic, similar to, to Plesak, and then he's got a deep arsenal. But this is a guy who has better stuff. We've already seen it in the form of, of strikeouts. Uh, sub 3-5 ERA so far for his career in over 250 innings. So I'm in on a Zach Gallon bounce back for 2022. 
All right. Well, we will leave it at that. Uh, another leaderboard in the books. We'll come back on Wednesday uh, with another stat to dissect and some interesting players to talk about. So thank you for tuning in to Fantasy Baseball in 15. So for Derek Van Riper, I'm Al Melchior, and we will be back here on Wednesday. Wednesday. 